Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going to start with verse number four but the bible says but the lord sent out a great wind into the sea there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his god and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them but jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep quite two different responses to a storm here so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? <laughs> How appropriate on this Sunday morning. <laughs> Someone's still getting the mode out of their eye there. Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, here comes the interrogation. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Well, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Amen. This morning I want to talk to us today along these lines about owning our storms. Owning our storms. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today that he would help us in the next few moments. Father, I love you. God, I pray, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. God, that we have felt, Lord, this far in the service, Lord, through songs that have been sung to continue, Lord Jesus, through the ministry of your word. God, both, Lord, from pulpit, Lord, impu, Lord, let the anointing of your power and your presence, God, fall upon us. Let there be a synergy. Lord, I pray, God, between us, Lord, as we endeavor to look into the word of the Lord and find truths there, Lord, that could be applicable to our own lives and will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do in this place, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus name. Last week we spoke a little bit or two weeks ago rather. All right. I wasn't here last week, but two weeks ago rather we talked about the disobedience of Jonah, how he had received a, uh, a mandate instruction from the Lord. And it would seem as though he did exactly the opposite of what the Lord had told him. And how his disobedience, as we see here in Scripture, did not only put him in great peril, but it put everyone on the same ship that he was in great peril as well. And so while it is true that we suffer through our own storms, there are times that we suffer through someone else's storm. 
What I mean is that storm isn't necessarily there because of you or something that you have done. It's not because you necessarily signed up for it. It's just so happened by virtue of placement, relationship, association that you're in somebody else's storm. Amen. All of Israel, the Old Testament tells us, all Israel suffered defeat according to the word of the Lord. They suffered defeat as they attempted to fight against the city of Ai. They had just entered just barely into that land of promise. They were victorious around the walls of Jericho. They had marched those seven days and seven times on the seventh day and they were victorious with the walls of that city falling flat. And then Ai was next in the crosshairs for them to overcome and they went to Ai thinking to themselves, this is going to be an easy win. We don't even have to send all the people, the normal soldiers, that we would send this is going to be an easy win and so as they went up against AI for the very first time the Bible says that Israel came back with their tail tucked between their legs they they were defeated all right they fled before the men of AI and to come to find out Joshua was their leader at this time come to find out Joshua humbles himself before the Lord and just cast himself to the ground and it come to find out that they lost all of Israel lost the battle against AI because their loss stemmed from the disobedience of one man among the whole nation of Israel by the name of Achan. The, 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 the prescription whenever they took Jericho was this, that there were some things they could not put their hands on. The silver and the gold, those things belonged unto the Lord. The first fruits, if you will, of their victory belonged unto God. But Ai, the Bible says, he's seen the Babylonian garment. He's seen those shekels of silver. He's seen these different things, a wedge of gold. He took them and he hid them under his tent. He took what was called the accursed things. He took them and he hid them under his tent after the victory of the battle of Jericho and now Israel goes forth thinking it's going to be easy easy win and they suffer defeat they suffer a loss and Joshua finds out it was all because of Achan's taking of the accursed things so in reality what came to be is this is that Israel suffered from Achan's storm Israel suffered from Achan's storm, from Achan's disobedience, from Achan's sin. The Bible plainly tells us in the first verse of chapter number seven of of the book of Joshua, it, it tells us that whenever he took of this accursed thing, that the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Achan, one man, took it, but God's anger was against the whole nation. Thousands upon thousands, nearing a million people, his anger was on. They were all a part of one man's storm. Amen. The Bible even tells us that Israel bore the heartache of Achan's choice. And the scripture says in verse 11 of Joshua 7, it says, this is as the Lord is speaking to Joshua, he says, Israel hath sinned. And they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing because he's saying all this because Achan is tied and associated in relationship with the nation of Israel. And so the Lord is painting with a broad brush, though this is one man. All of you are you all on the same ship, so to speak. You're all encompassed with this. He says, for they even taken of the accursed thing and have stolen and disassembled also. And they have put it even upon their own stuff, verse 12, therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. 
Therefore, they were defeated at Ai, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were a curse. Neither will I be with you anymore except you to destroy the accursed thing among you. And so whenever we look back at the book of Jonah, the storm in the book of Jonah, we see very clearly in verse number four that the storm came from the Lord. And listen, folks, whenever I say a storm, we must understand the gravity of how bad this was because the Bible says, Brother Terry, that the mariners were afraid. Now, whenever we talk about mariners, we are talking about people that are used to being on a ship. They're used to going through some turbulent times on the water and sometimes the wind blowing quite boisterous. They've seen a thing or two in their life. And so if you have a group of mariners that are afraid, then if you're not a mariner, you better be afraid. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're flying and you hit a little turbulence. If you see fate worries some faces upon the stewardess, you can get worried at that point. All right. But but if it's no big deal, then you have no cause to be worried. And so here is the mariners. They're afraid. Everyone, the response to everything that's taken place, the Bible speaks to everyone, it seems, upon the ship. They're crying or praying to their gods, right? Little g, to their gods, what they know or believe or, or respect as a god. They're praying to them. But the man that has the label prophet, The man that has the label prophet while everybody else is crying and praying, the man labeled prophet is sleeping below deck. Amen. His sleep, might I tell you, it was not an action of faith that he was just trusting in God. All right, that's not the scenario here with Jonah. His sleep was an action of really complacency and indifference to the way that he had been ordering his life since he had heard the voice of the Lord say, go unto Nineveh and proclaim this and thus and so. If you want to talk about sleeping as a measure of faith, we would have to talk about the apostle Peter in John chapter, or in Acts chapter number 12. The Bible says on the night prior to him being executed that he was between two soldiers, chained, and he was asleep. That was a man that was exercising faith in God. And the reason why I say that is because Peter had done nothing wrong in the sight of God. He had done everything right in the sight of God. And they were wishing to take his life. He was able to sleep because he had done nothing wrong. His faith rested in the Lord. You want to talk about somebody else that slept? Look at Jesus Christ on the ship, the Bible says. In the hinder part of the ship, he was asleep during a great storm in so much that his disciples even had to shake him and awake him. Well, that's not, now this is, this is the Lord of glory. This is God manifest in the flesh asleep on the ship. What we see in Jesus is nothing more but a creator that's not going to be intimidated by his creation. Amen. But when we talk about Jonah, we talk about the prophet Jonah sleeping during a storm while there are pagans on the ship that's praying. We're talking about a man that's a little bit foolish and a little bit arrogant because he's not wanting to plead for help from the one he's trying to escape. Not wanting to plead for help from the one he's trying to escape. From there's there's one that he's trying to you know stay out of the the focus and the crosshairs of because he already received a mandate from God. And the last thing that somebody wants to do when they're walking in disobedience is admit they need help from the one they're disobeying. Amen. And here's the fact: he's the prophet, but he's refusing to join in the prayer meeting. 
It's kind of like, you know, same brother Fred, you know, he's a body man, but he's going to refuse to paint any cars. You know what I'm saying? He's, a pro- he's probably saying some days I wish it could. He's the prophet, but he's refusing the prayer meeting. And here's something very important. If you got a prophet that's refusing the prayer meeting, it's probably indicating there's some type of spiritual problem. Woo! With the prophet. And it did for Jonah, because here's the fact, and you've heard me say this before, but sin doesn't like to pray. Disobedience isn't too keen on lifting its voice up in prayer. Jesus told his disciples. What did Jesus tell his disciples whenever he talked about prayer? He told them this. He said, pray that you what? Enter not into temptation. Pray that you enter not into temptation. And so if there's already a lack of prayer, Brother Terry, it may prove temptation, disobedience, or maybe even sin's already slipped in with a foothold. And I've said this years ago. Sin will keep you from praying or prayer can keep you from sin. Amen. So here's Jonah. The pagans are praying, but the prophet is sleeping. (laughs) Amen. Look at this one more matter, if you will. Just point in case. Back to our story in Joshua with Achan. Whenever Joshua went tribe by tribe, family by family, household by household, to try to decipher and decide and find out who it was that may have been causing the problem for all of Israel, when he tried to find whose storm that they were enduring, the Bible says he narrowed it down from tribe to family to household, finally to individual. And Joshua, you can look at this in Joshua 7. Joshua, through the Lord's guidance, when Achan was standing before him, this is what Joshua urged Achan in that moment. He said, Achan, he said, give glory to God. I think this is important because the wisdom of Joshua from the Lord was this. He knew that it would be difficult for Achan to give glory to God when he had unrepentant sin in his life. Amen. It would be difficult for him to do that because when when prayer fails and glory to God wanes in our life, you better be looking for something hidden in the tent. Oh, yeah. You grow cold. You don't grow cold without reason. You don't just stop praying. Other things takes priority rather than prayer. Oh, yes. But the mariners, the Bible says, went to praying. And Jonah went to sleeping. Amen. We got to beware this morning. Listen to the pastor. We got to beware when the very thing that sends sinners to praying sends the saints to sleeping. Someone say amen. We got we to gotta beware of these things. We got we to gotta take caution whenever we start to grow comfortable with the consequences of our transgressions. When the consequences of our transgressions no longer affect us, it no longer moves us, or perhaps we just want to deny and not even recognize them. When the, when the pagans are pray, praying and we're sleeping. Huh? It would, be, it would be injustice today for there to be a world crying out to God because of things going on. And we're just lackadaisical in our spiritual. Amen. We, the Bible says concerning, concerning Achan that, and Jonah, that basically that lots were cast in so many words. Lots were cast for Jonah to decide who might be the cause of this evil that they were enduring. And the Bible says that the lot fell on Jonah. 
So Jonah was the cause. But in order to verify the lot, to verify the truthfulness of Jonah being the cause, the, the, the mariners start to ask some clarifying questions of Jonah. We read of that in those verses 8 through 11 that I read to you this morning. They come to Jonah and they start with a, a simple question to him. They say, what is your occupation? What is your occupation, sir? Well, here's the fact of the matter, folks, because they're wanting to know, are you really the cause for the evil going on? Or is your stone the really the reason why we're suffering what we're suffering, right? And, and before I go there, let's state one other person who was in somebody else's storm. In the book of Acts chapter 27, the Bible says that Paul was a prisoner on a ship with 270, I guess it would be five, so he would have been 76, 275 other prisoners. That ship would eventually be destroyed. He was on the ship. There was a grand storm. He was in somebody else's storm. But note... Because of Paul, because when the ship broke up, the, the, the masters of the ship said, whoever starts to take swim and soldiers, kill them. But the Bible says the centurion spoke up and said, no, let's not do that. And it was all because of Paul. You can be in somebody else's storm. But the fact of the matter is, Paul was there in somebody else's storm and he was there to help them. Jonah caused a storm for everybody else and he was the problem ask yourself in the storms whether you're the solution or the problem if you're the reason for the storm or if it's just came and now you're there to try to help those that are involved in it get out of it because everybody was saved of the 276 on Paul's ship that day because Paul who was who he was and the centurion said, don't kill them. He wanted to save them all. What? For, life, for Paul's life in particular. But everybody was saved because Paul was saved. So you got to ask yourself. And so he's, yeah, i got to get back on track here now. Okay, what is thine occupation? So they're, they're trying to see if they can verify you know, is this man got anything evil about him that this could even be happening? And so Jonah's occupation, Sister Coxon, this morning really doesn't help him when he verbalizes it. It really indicts him because it didn't help clear his name because he'd have to stand before these guys and say, I'm a prophet. Did we, did we not just have a prayer meeting up here on deck while ago? Where were you, prophet? I, I was asleep below. There's such a great contrast in Scripture when it says they were praying, but he went down below and was sleeping. What we have on our hand is a prayerless prophet. Oh, help me right now, Jesus. Can I tell you that a prayerless prophet might as well not even be a prophet? And a prayerless... Stretch the label out all over the other labels within the church. That a prayerless pastor may not be even a pastor. A prayerless youth leader might as well not be a youth leader. A prayerless musician may as well not be a musician. A prayerless singer might not as well be a singer. A prayerless Christian might as well not be a... He indicted himself by his words. I, I'm, I'm a prophet. And I'm a prophet that sleeps while the sinners pray. Had he been living up to his calling, I believe they'd already known who he was. John Butler says it like this. He says, no one should have to ask a believer if he is a Christian. 
especially when the believer along with the interrogator is involved in some major crisis. He says, he should just come forth and like, you know what we need to do in this hour? We need to be doing some praying. What is thine occupation? So it indicts him whenever he states that he's a prophet. They want to know whence comest thou. Now listen, this isn't so much they, that they want to know where he came from as much as what he's been doing. Because uh, I received it when the kid, when my mom asked me, where you been? You know what she wanted to know? What I've been up to. <laughs> she really didn't want to know about my location. She wanted to know the shenanigans I've been up to. Amen. We see it. We see it in the Old Testament scripture as well. Whenever there's the prophet Elisha and his servant Gehazi and the healing of Naaman has just taken place and Naaman wants to give unto Elisha and all these gifts because of what has happened to him. And Elisha says, no, don't worry about it. You just go back home. And Naaman's on his way back home. And what happens to Gehazi? He thinks without notice of Elisha, he slips out of the house. And he goes running after Naaman and say, oh, Naaman, Naaman, uh, my master would like some of those changes of garments and some of that stuff you was going to give. I'm here for him. And he takes all those things and he has them and he's walking back, you know, trying to quietly open the door and get back in the house where the prophet is. And the prophet's like, where, where have you been? Huh? He wants to know what he's been doing. And he says, did not my heart go with you? In other words, I'm getting at the point whenever the, the, the mariners are saying, whence comest thou? They're really wanting to know what has Jonah been up to? And they know Jonah has even told them, we learn in scripture somewhere along the way, he has been running from the presence of God. Whew. He's been running from the presence of God. The presence of God that he told them that I fear the Lord. Oh, I fear the Lord, the God that made the sea and the dry land. Now that fastens very hard on the mariners again because Old Testament people believed there were the God of the mountains, the God of the valleys, the God of... And so he said, the God who made the sea and the dry land. You're running from the presence of God and yet you're saying he's the God of the sea? We got problems in the sea right now. Huh? They were afraid when they heard that. We got problems in the sea right now. And you ran away from the presence of the Lord. So once again, here's Jonah. He's indicting himself because he's messed with the God, amen, of the dry land and of the sea. And so his answer once again has accused him of being the culprit indeed. He has blatantly been rebellious toward the commands of the Lord's and he's running from God. Amen. Then they ask interrogation, you know. I don't think they had a sack over his head, but interrogation. What is thy country? Because it was evident in that day there were certain countries, certain nations that were just known as troublemakers. There were certain, certain nations and certain countries that were not looked too kindly upon because they were notorious for causing trouble and war and battle and they were hostile many times to many others. So they just, you know, want to know he's probably from one of those countries since all of this is coming upon us. So what country are you from? And if Jonah had been from one of those other countries, they would probably have been like, yeah, that's what we expected from somebody from that country. Amen. Evil coming from that type of nation no surprise to us however Jonah was not from one of those nations Jonah was from the nation of Israel wait a minute he's from the nation of Israel what are you saying brother McGee I'm saying this everything that's happening right now with Jonah's life is absolutely betraying his citizenship where he's from 
Israel. Because from the very beginning, when God called Abraham to be the father of the Hebrew people, to be the father of the nation of Israel. His plans for Abraham and his nation, look at it in the book of Genesis 12. His plan for the nation of Israel is that they would be a blessing to the world and not a curse to the world. Look at it. Genesis 12, verse number two. God says, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so here's, here's Jonah again. He's indicting himself. He's not saying he's of some nation of the troublemakers or some notorious nation over here that all the time stirs up trouble. He's of the nation of Israel. And we were prescribed by God from the beginning to be a blessing. And the, the pagans got to be scratching in their head. Boy, this is a weird way to be a blessing. This, this is a weird way to be a blessing. If you're from the nation of Israel, we should be blessed by it. You should, you know, it's almost like you should be like a Joseph among Potiphar's house. Right? Because he was there and everything it seemed like he touched was gold. The household did better, Right? Pharaoh even has him second command. Why? Because, man, he knew how to order the grain, how to take care of him through the time of famine. How in the world so? Because he was of the lineage and the line of Abraham. And so having him among them was a blessing. But here is one Jonah 2. And rather than a blessing, there's a curse on the water. Can I tell you that what God would even perceive and want to use as a blessing will become a curse when it walks in disobedience with its master? Amen. Got us. So Jonah's really starting to kind of own his storm here. Huh? I'm the prophet. <laughs> I've been running away from God. I'm from Israel. I know it doesn't seem like it. The way that I've been acting is kind of betraying where I've come from. And so Jonah's presence on the ship brought evil by way of a storm. Should have been a blessing. A storm. He should have been taking the message to Nineveh, which would have been a blessing to them. It wouldn't have sounded like it right up front, but it would have been a blessing to them. It'd been difficult, perhaps, for them to process the pending doom that was coming down the line for them if they didn't repent. But when they heeded it, it would become a blessing to them. But Jonah's refusal to be a blessing to the Ninevites then squelched his ability to be a blessing to the pagans on the ship. Whew. Because when we do not honor God, we will be a peril to mankind. When we attempt to live in opposition to the desires of God or, quite frankly, are disobedient, we will be mistaken as the problem rather than the solution as it was in the eyes of those sellers. In other words, people won't be able to see you as a blessing that you're prescribed to be because you'll not be reflecting the citizenship of supposedly where you're from very well. Jonah was of the nation of Israel, but he was not acting like a citizen of Israel. Nor was he acting like he truly had the office of a prophet. What, what, let's ask ourselves this morning, what country am I from? 
Am I a pilgrim and a stranger here below? Or have I truly made this my country? He goes on and asks the interrogation goes on. Of what people art thou? Of what people art thou? The word people there can speak of race. What race are you? What family are you? Can speak of family, associates or friends. What associates or friends art thou? In other words, they wanted to know the people that Jonah spent time with. What family, what people, what associates. They wanted to know those that he fellowshiped with. Who, who do you fellowship with? Who do you socialize with? Who do you keep company with, Jonah? A common, just because, I don't know, my wife loves to read like novels and true stories about serial killers and stuff like that. And, and she just intrigues her. And as a result of that, we keep all of our knives under lock and key, and I got the key. But... Um, <laughs> But seriously, though, I've heard enough ambient noise about serial killing and stuff that I understand that it's a common, a common, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, but a common question of investigators ask about potential homicide victims is concerning friends, relatives, acquaintances that they had. They want to know what type of people they associated with because that very quickly could give maybe some insight about what's happened in their life concerning the friends and relatives and associates that they may have may give clue concerning their death, whether it would be, whether it was warranted, you know, quite possible that it happened or whether, whether it was just, you know, not provoked something that wasn't provoked. And so company has a lot to say about character. I, I guess if I'm saying like, you know, if you have just like the perfect little, the perfect little home and family and everything's well, and that seems what comes forth, it might be a little bit hard to try to investigate. But if you were just part, let's say they were part of a gang, you know, you, <laughs> the likelihood or the consideration, the lines can be drawn a little bit more direct because of the company that was kept. Someone say Amen. So, so they're going to they're gonna look at the company because company, it helps shape and it helps determine in many ways our character. I mean, as parents growing up and you have kids and they start being around other kids and so on and so forth, there's times that you might have to uh, give that conversation and say, you know what, you, you may need to find someone else because such and such isn't a very good influence. That's what we use in it, Brother Terry, just not a very good, not a very good influence. Right? Well, that sort of reasoning works real good for our kids, but why don't it work on us too? Jonah's disobedience, in Jonah's disobedience, he had left his friends, left his family. He had left God in order to get on a ship of a bunch of pagans on a journey away from God's will. Deep down, I'm convinced that Jonah knew the reminder of God's will could be best forgotten if he could get himself among a people that had no God consciousness at all. What are you saying? I'm saying if I'm not wanting to do God's will, the last thing I want to do is try to be around God's people because that's just a constant reminder to me. If I, if I, Brother Jonathan, don't want to live for the Lord, I don't want to hang around people that do live for the Lord. Because that doesn't make me comfortable about my decision not to live for the Lord. Well, well. 
I, I, I want to find the, the, the creek and the river with the least amount of resistance so I can float down my current of disobedience and feel okay about it. He says, I fear the Lord in verse 9. I fear the Lord. It's like, but come on, Jonah. Is is this really true, everything that you're saying right here? Because Jonah, let me say it like this. We're typically not challenged by people that are just like us. We're typically not challenged by people that's just like us. I'm challenged by people that may be living a little better than me. Or that have stronger principles than I do. That challenges me. But I'm not challenged by someone that's just like me. Oh, someone say amen. What is it? So, Bishop, sometimes I want to find people just like me. With the same mindset about how maybe that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, and that doesn't matter. I know God says it, knows his word says it, but that and that doesn't matter. They feel the same way that I do. We can be friends. Because your lifestyle is not going to challenge my lifestyle. And I know it's not right, but if I can accompany myself with other people that's just like me. But whenever I come to the house of the Lord and I've turned into a deadbeat and I sit by someone that prays and worships and gives a vocal praise to God and stands up and I'm kind of like, you know, this is kind of make me stand out a little bit. I think I might need to go find you someone that don't. Oh, God. So then you have a section of deadbeats and a section of worshipers because the others don't want to sit by the worshipers because they feel convicted. Yeah, you know, well, glory. I'm well. I really, I didn't put no spurs on my boots this morning. I didn't, didn't put no spurs on my boots. So we got to ask ourselves, what company are we keeping? Are are we not keeping certain company because that company challenges? Why are we keeping the company we keep? Is it urging you to do better, or is it making you have the "I'm okay, you're okay" syndrome? Are you seeking to be better or are you seeking to be comfortable? Man, this is strong for having lost an hour of sleep. Proverbs 27. I said, man, I'm glad at the same time next week he loses an hour of sleep. He gets cranky. <laughs> I'm not cranky this morning. Amen. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. I use this for a group of guys that try to do some mentorship. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Man, I want somebody that I can rub up against. That's going to help me get a glistening edge on me. Because sometimes there's some rough burrs that gets on my nice blade of my sword, so to speak, in my life. And I need to rub up against somebody else that can somehow sand off the edge. Amen. There's nothing worse than having a pocket knife and somebody needing something to cut something and you pull it out and it's dull. What's the purpose then of having the knife? 
You understand what I'm saying? But I got to take that iron and put it against iron. We were, uh, there, there were those few weeks there back in the uh, uh, December when we were uh, working out there at Motorrad and you're opening boxes and stuff all the times and they had box cutters, but I just used my knife every day. You know what I did every morning before I went to work? I sharpened my knife. Because I knew I was going to be using it in order for it to really have any use. I was going to have to take iron against iron. In order for it to really have any use. Hun, you got to find yourself some company and some people that you can rub up against. And it's not just that they're going to help you, but hopefully you're going to be of some benefit to them too. Because we got some utility in the kingdom. We got some use. Amen. If not, you're just carrying a dull knife in your pocket. You got a pocket knife? Yeah, but sorry, but you can't use it because it's dull. <laughs> Someone say amen. Verse 9, here we are. This is when he responds to them. I am a Hebrew. Oh, Jonah, I'm sorry you had to say it, but it's true. You are, but you betray who you are. I fear the Lord. That just seems like a boat-faced lie. Or at least it's a profession without performance. Those, as the scripture would say, draw near to him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. What's that mean? It means we profess we're this, this, and this, but we have no life that backs that, that, or that. Jonah said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land, but his actions have been speaking very Differently, again, he has profession, no performance. He has a good statement, good statement of faith, but he has a very poor follow-through on that statement of faith. His beliefs and his lifestyle have not yet harmonized. I'm sure it was confusing to those sellers. <laughs> okay, so you told us, let's get this straight. I'm do, do some drive-back talking with you here, Jonah. You ran away from the presence of God. Yeah, and you fear the Lord. Yeah. Now, the fear of the Lord there, as Bishop preached not long ago, is not speaking about he's trembling. Oh. No, it's that he had an awe and a reverence and a respect for God. So you're telling us you ran from the presence of the Lord and you also have a, a respect for God. That's confusing to these pagans. Hear me very clearly. That's confusing to these pagans that are calling on their little G-O-D gods. And we are no less confusing. We are no less confusing when we say we are this, this, and this, and we live that, that, and that. They're scratching their heads too and saying, do you, have you left his presence or do you respect him? Do We had a lady in our community not long ago reach out to my wife going through a, a journey of sobriety. And uh, within her own context, she even brought up the concept and the idea about how she didn't get it when there's church-going people that still just get lickety-split drunk. How is there any difference in being a Christian and not a Christian when the practices of the so-called Christians are the same of those of the non-Christians. Did he say that I would call you out of darkness into this marvelous light 
and I would set your feet on that street called straight and I'd establish your goings. Folks, I, I know we do it all day long, but there's a reason why these things, God had the people that was called. There's a reason why he said circumcision is going to be upon them. There's going to be a distinguishable factor that sets them apart. There's a reason for all of these things. Amen. Hallelujah. And so here's John. He says, I fear the Lord. And yet on the other hand, I have walked away from God. Amen. So he's in all of God, but he didn't obey God. Is that what you're saying, Jonah? You revere the Lord, but you're not going to take time to pray to God in the hour of need? Which is it? So say amen. Which is it? So you're telling us, Jonah, that you don't listen to the one that you're saying is your master. So you're saying that that you don't imitate the life that you say we should emulate. So you're saying to become more like Jesus has its modifications and alterations. Someone's saying, this right here, life that we endeavor to live is not like going through a buffet a la carte style and getting your green beans. I don't like mashed potatoes. I'm going to get some macaroni and cheese. I don't like roast. I'm going to get these pork chops with some gravy on top. I don't like salad. I'll get two helpings of of banana pudding. See, at the buffet, you're in control. You pick and choose. And we choose Christian livelihood like that sometimes. I'll take the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the remitting of sins, but I'm not going to take lifestyle changes or differences. I'll take healing from the Lord, but I'm not going to pray to the Lord. Can can I say very, oh God, help me be a pastor today, God, and loving and everything. Can I tell you, there's something that irritates my spirit anymore than people that will come up forward for prayer, but they'll never pray before church. Almost any time, sometimes we'll offer prayer. They'll be up here to receive prayer, but they don't want to spend any time in the back having a little talk with Jesus before service. Every, that just gets down into my crawl, and I just... I'm telling you, let me confess this morning. It takes everything as a pastor to God help my spirit to reach forth my hand, anoint them with oil, and pray about their need. I'm, I'm just being honest with you right now. Pray about their need, but they've not spent no time with prayer before church. Crucify me afresh later and put me to open shame if you want, but. Oh, Lord, help us. Brother Sanford will be here next Sunday night. Verse number 10. Look at the next question they ask him. What hast thou done? Why hast thou done this? Jonah doesn't answer this here. We already looked at this in previous weeks. We'll look at it again further down the line. But again, you must realize that Jonah knew the graciousness of God. God had been gracious to Israel, and he knew that God would be gracious to Israel's enemies. He knew the grace of God. And he wasn't ready to accept God's grace for someone whom he thought didn't deserve anything. But he finds himself in a spot right now that he's kind of need a little bit of grace, isn't he? It goes on to say, last question, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. What shall we do unto thee? Here it is. What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm? Here's the fact, and this is a moment of clarity. This is a moment 
of Jonah truly owning his own storm because they're saying you've done evidently you're you're the cause we've asked enough questions we gleaned that you're the cause so you've done something wrong there must be a penalty so what must we do to you in order for the sea to be calm Jonah's got to bear it would seem some type of penalty and at the same time it's just like in real life with criminals you want them to bear some type of penalty and you want whatever the answer is, whatever to be done to also protect anybody else from further harm. That's just the way that we operate our, our justice system. We got to do something to them so they get the penalty and it also keeps others from harm, from any continued harm from whatever it has happened. And so Joan, it's like he's got to bear some penalty, but we also got to protect those that are aboard the ship here. And Jonah's response to them is really telling of his mindset and of a momentary change of mind because Jonah says, then you all is going to have to cast me into the sea. In that plea, Jonah's letting them know that there's punishment, but there'll also be protection that's provided. What this really illustrates for us in the story of Jonah here, Brother Mason, is repentance on Jonah's part. Listen to me real clearly here. I'm, I'm getting to a close. Jonah's willing to be thrown into the sea. If I can say it like this, Jonah is willing to receive a penalty for his wrongdoing because he's identified himself that he's done wrong. And he has a desire to make a change. Throw me into the sea. Listen, we preach, we talk about repentance. Repentance, of course, again, is more than just saying, I'm sorry and having tears trickle down your face, right? The Bible says godly sorrow work of repentance not to be repented of. It's more than just an apology and tears streaming down the face. There's been a lot of people that had tears go down the face and they apologized and they went out and lived exactly like they just got done living. Huh? Repentance is a change of mind. Thus, a change of behavior, a change of lifestyle. Jonah, in this moment, changed his mind about fleeing from God. In this, in this moment, he changed his mind about de- being disobedient to God. And so to do this was also, though, an admittance that his thought and actions needed changed. All right? And so since he thought and acted upon that, here's what he had to do. He had to identify that he had done wrong. And whatever penalty there was for his wrong, he did absolutely deserve it. Now listen, here's the fact. Here's sometimes the trial of true repentance. Well, I repented. But whenever penalty comes, you act as though you don't deserve it. We want repentance without consequence. Yeah. We're the, we're the ones that someone flubs up and they're on their, and I've, I've, I've had those stories that are, Brother McGee, they're on their way to prison, but they've talked to God and they prayed to God, pray that it don't happen, my God, pray that, that the circumstance changes and blah, blah, blah. You know, God does do that sometimes. But what they're really wanting to do is repent without any consequences. And you don't have true repentance until you identify I did the wrong and I get justly whatever should be coming to me. And if God shows mercy and it doesn't, then thank God. But until you own that, you should be getting what you're getting. You've not really owned what you've done. Mm. 
Huh? So Jonah says, cast me. Cast me. I'm the wrongdoer. And if anything's to, if anybody's to receive penalty, I'm the one that should be getting the penalty. What is, he's repenting. He's understanding his fallacy. Cast me into the waters. Before, Jonah wouldn't give his time, his effort, his voice, whatever you want to call it. He would not give any of that to the enemies of Israel, the Ninevites. I'm, God, I'm not going to saying thus and so, so that they might repent and you might be gracious. No, 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 no. He wasn't giving his time, his voice, none of that to the enemies of Israel. But right now in this moment, look at this. He's willing to give his life for a bunch of pagan mariners on the boat. Whereas he wouldn't even give his voice there. Now there's been a change. Alterate. I'll even give my life for the sinners on this boat. Stand with me. I'll close. I'll close. I'll close. Because the moment he's thrown over boat, Brother Terry, he's no longer running from God. He's at the mercy of the sea. He's floating, I guess, from God. I mean, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's no longer running. He's not treading water. You know, he's just there. He's there. He stopped running from God. He has put himself at the mercy of the sea, which he's already attested to that his God has made. So in a certain sense, Brother James, he stopped running and he had them cast himself into something that his God has control of. And says, I'm just going to put myself at the mercy of God. He was submitting himself in that moment. God, I'm going to just submit myself to your will. Because once I'm in this water, you have the ability to take in my life here or you have the ability of sustaining my life here we know the story of Jonah well enough what occurred and took place that he was submitting himself I mean you can't submit yourself any more to the will of God than you being cast over the boat of a ship into a sea and say well God it's up to you right but also in doing so he was able to own what he did wrong and if God chose so to bring very hard consequences of complete death he did in that moment which was a proving of true repentance. True repentance. So if you were to take all the questions in our chapter this morning and start asking them of yourself, not on the basis of just natural but spiritual, about what have you been doing? Who are you? What is your nation or your country? And ask yourself all these questions. Would the answers indict you for where you presently are? Or would it be like... Yeah, that's an Israelite. They're a blessing. Or yeah, they're of this country and this kindred. The people that they're around, they are challenging them to be more like Jesus. Or would it, would it be on the contrary? Would it prove that you're in steps of disobedience away from God? Or that you're trying to walk in accordance to the will of God? And whatever that may prove in your own individual life may prove how you need to respond right now in this moment with heads bowed, eyes closed, and prayers being made to the Master. Hallelujah, Jesus. These altars are open today because someone may need to own their storm today. Have you been sleeping while others are praying? Huh? Do you need to own a storm? Are you, in a, are you in a place or a situation that 
you know, this is the result of me fleeing from the presence of God. This, this, this is the result of me growing cold on the presence of God. This, this, this is the result of me ignoring the voice of God. If that's the case, folks, this morning, there's nothing wrong with owning your storm. Owning your storm. And in that, God will smile upon you and see you. And we just need to come to him with open arms and with a mouth of repentance. Say, God, I know, Lord, I know I've turned my back on you. I know, God, that I've, I've snubbed your will. I know, God, and I want to take ownership of that today, God. And I know there could be some consequences as a result of that. And, God, I'm not saying you got to keep them from me if you choose to do so. I'll just take that as your mercy. But I want to, you to know that I own it 100%. I own, I, I, I'm just not here this morning uh, trying to get out. You know, sometimes we move to certain areas just because the preacher just preaches a little bit and in the moment we feel uncomfortable. But folks, it's more about than just being uncomfortable in the moment on a Sunday morning service. It's about leaving here and living our everyday lives and that there being a little nugget of uncomfortableness there that's trying to draw us or point us back toward the Lord trying to point us back toward Calvary these altars are open this morning for whosoever will there may be somebody else in the storm today that you are in that storm and it's not yours but you're just like the apostle Paul you're there and hopefully you're going to be of some benefit and blessing to whose storm you're in who on whichever scale you are today let us all own our own individual storms can we hallelujah Jesus we come to you brother Mason hallelujah Jesus Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.